We are so glad that you're here. If you're joining us online today, thank you for being with us as well. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 21. If you're there, say amen. amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you chiefly. They that are of Caesar's household. All the saints salute you chiefly. They that are of Caesar's household. Matthew chapter 16, and for the sake of time, because you're standing, we'll read two verses, 18 and 19. 16 of Matthew 18 and 19, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind, where? Where else shall it be bound? Think about this. Whatsoever thou shalt loose shall be loosed in heaven. I want to be very careful today how I, I get this started because I don't want to run off. I don't want to run off and leave you from the very start of the gate. But I think sometimes we've got this concept backwards. That we're down here on earth waiting for heaven to do something. And for God to, to please move on this and please move on that. When out of the mouth of the Messiah himself, he looked at Peter and he said, You have the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He did not say, I'm waiting for you to find out what I'm binding in heaven. Think about it. What does a man have to do to get so in alignment with God that you have heaven's permission to dictate and determine what heaven is going to do? Think about it. Paul is writing... And greeting the saints in Caesar's household. We're going to talk about that. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on the rock that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I want to talk to you this morning from the understanding of the context of Matthew 16. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Another word that we could use in our society for a gate would be the entryway or the door, the access to. And the Lord said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The principle that we've got to understand before I give you my title is that gates and doors do not move. They open and close, but they do not move. This is sometimes misunderstood because we think when the gates of hell come against us, they can't win. Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail, but gates don't move. 
Gates are the access to hell, Hades. This leads me to believe that any prevailing that is done will not be when the gates of hell come against us. But when we go to the gates of hell and we declare war. I want to talk to you today about a church built at hell's front door. A church, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Woo! If you can't feel what I feel right now, I want God to get it on you in the next five minutes because I feel like I'm about to have a Holy Ghost fit up in here right now. You are a part of the most glorious organism that has ever been created by the hand of God. Woo! You can be seated. Building a church at hell's front door. Now, if I had the time today to make this beautiful and polished and present it to you in a measure that I would like to, it would probably come across more as, uh, as a professor teaching to a class rather than a preacher preaching to a glorious church. I wish that I could somehow take the time to present to you what it looked like in the days of the church in the first century. We read the story of the crucifixion every year. We read the story of the birth of the Messiah. And the language of the Bible really does not do justice to the perspective that people were looking at while the Lord was trying to use them to build a church. I don't really think we understand the violence of the day when the Lord established His church. We always look at the beginning of the church and how peaceful it was for them to be able to gather in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, Shabbos, for... Uh, the traveling feast where they all come to the city and how powerful that was. And oh my goodness, you know, they had walked with Jesus and no problem whatsoever. Folks, listen to what I'm telling you right now. They had tried to kill Jesus for three and a half years. As a matter of fact, his disciples looked at him the last time that he was going to Jerusalem. And they said, well, why would you go? And Thomas knew how serious it was because Thomas said, well... We'll go die with you. Think about it now. We'll, we'll go die with you. That's cute, Pastor, because what they were really saying is they were going to deny their flesh and they were going to go to Jerusalem and have good church. That's what that meant. It's amazing to me when we look at the church age right now and how we justify what dying really means. And we say, oh yeah, absolutely, man. I, I go to church once or twice a week. I am, I am crucified. It's amazing. And if I could be brutally honest right here and you still love me when I'm done, the truth of the matter is most of the time that we spend at church is crucifying what got out of control uh, Wednesday through Sunday. You still love me? And so then we go back to work on Monday morning and our boss 
is rude to us. And that one co-worker, I don't think it's politically correct to say this, but I think everybody works with a Karen, don't they? <laughs> if you're here this morning, Sister Karen, I am so sorry. I don't know why Karen was the name they picked, but I know her. I, I know Karen's. I don't, under, I don't know that. I, apparently now there's a male version, too. I heard the other, what, what's their name, Lauren? You don't remember? What scripture did I read this morning? You remember that? That's good. You looked on the screen, cheater. There are people that are going to test you. It's going to happen. And on Monday morning, after you got the victory on Sunday, over what messed you up on Friday and Saturday... You go back to work on Monday and it's working on you. And that same thing that conquered you last week and you felt like you conquered on Sunday, it's trying to conquer you again. Somebody shout amen or oh me. And so what we do is we establish this cycle in our hearts and our lives of, well, I believe in the power of the glorious church because I feel better when I go. And you should feel better when you go. But there is a misunderstanding as to the peaceful paradise setting in Jerusalem when the church was established. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Because I want you to understand that the church was not established in a peaceful time. And it's probably not going to wrap things up in a peaceful time. If you were born in the fire, you're more than likely going to die in the fire. Ooh, what are we going to do in the United States of America if all these anti-fascists get loose? Oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do if they try to stop us at the doors of our church from coming in and having church? What are we going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have church. They've discovered, they've discovered in Jerusalem, again, I don't want this to sound like I'm, I'm lecturing in a college class. I'm going to preach to you in just a minute. They've discovered what they believe is the oldest church in Jerusalem that... Uh, that James, the brother of Jesus, was the pastor of. And the, the, the building itself, it's, it goes under the ground. They've got it barricaded off now, but they believe they've proved this was where James' uh, church was. And there's places in there to hide saints and places in there to put people away. And they said, oh, my goodness, man, when the, when the Romans came in, they have an escape hatch that goes out the other side. And they were like, have you ever seen a church designed like this? Folks, it wasn't a big metal building with... Uh, steeples so the whole world could see it. They didn't build it with stained glass. They built it for protection that while we're here, we may have to have a place to escape to and a way to get out. And they had places for for, uh, security to stand guard. And I hope to God we don't ever see that. But I'm saying to you, the church was not dying and on its way down in the darkness of the Roman Empire. It was on its way up. It was the beginning of the church of the living God that already had a prophetic utterance over it that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And so James, the brother of Jesus, who if you want to know his story, look him up in a list of martyrs and you're going to find out that James was pretty sold out. 
He wasn't looking for somewhere to preach and looking for somewhere to get up to a conference and looking for somewhere to get up in stage lights. He was looking for somewhere to lay his life down and commit to the cause of Christ. I'm telling you that the church was never meant to be a place that gives me temporary relief on the weekend from the life that I live throughout the week. The kingdom of God as established by Jesus Christ himself was that if you're going to come after me, you're going to deny yourself and take up your cross and you're going to follow me. So the principle is that entering into the kingdom of God in and of itself is dying to oneself, dying to one's flesh, dying to one's ideas. The idea and the thought that the church is a place of reprieve for us to get relief in our minds from all of the things that we let cave in on us was never in the mind of God. It puts the church in a defensive strategy that we're always trying to recover from the last attack of Satan when Satan came against us. But when the Lord spoke to Peter, he said, son, I'm telling you that the gates of hell cannot prevail against what I'm doing. Here's what you need to know, Peter. While the church age may stand around and wait for the gates of hell to attack you, I'm giving you the keys to attack the gates of hell. There is a shift in the strategy of the church that's coming in the end time that we are not going to live in recovery mode 99% of the time and in victory on Sunday night. But we're going to come to this house having victory over that thing that had conquered us so many times before and we're going to declare finally that it is finished, it is done, and I will not wrestle with that devil one more night. But I'm coming to the house of God and I'm going to worship like I've never worshipped. I'm not going to have to break chains off. Can you imagine what it would feel like to come in on Sunday and not have to break chains off of you before you lift your hands? Can you imagine the freedom of coming to the house of God and when you walk through the front door, there is nothing holding you. There is nothing on your conscience. I want you to think about, (laughs) I won't get there in just a minute. I want you to think about church counseling. I want you to think about what transpires most of the time when we have to have counseling in the church. It's most of the time counseling about how do I recover from this. You understand what I'm saying? How do I fix what is broken? I swear if we would start backstepping and backtracing to the place where that thing was broken, that's a good place to seek wisdom there. Wisdom before the fall is by far to me more powerful than restoration after the fall. Boy, that was popular, wasn't it? That went over like orange soda at a grape soda convention. It don't work that way. You understand what I'm telling you today? You have been given power. Not by a pope. 
not by a politician. By God manifest in the flesh that whatsoever you bind on earth Oh, my, my, my. Now, the interesting thing about this where I began this morning reading to you from the book of Philippians. This is something, if you're not careful, you just read on past, oh, how cute, how neat is that? I want to tell you right now, I don't think we could handle Paul. I just don't. I honestly believe that if the Apostle Paul was living today and I invited him to come be our Sunday evangelist. Woo-wee. Some of you have that uncomfortable giggle. I've watched you and other evangelists come in here and preach a little heavy and hard. And you're like, mm, I can't wait for a pastor. Paul would probably be my best friend as far as that's concerned. You would be begging for me to be back. That was one tough cookie. I, I sincerely believe that if, if he came in unannounced and nobody knew who he was and he could somehow manifest in the 21st century, that he would absolutely be kicked out of 99.9% .9 of churches in America. I believe that. And furthermore, I believe Jesus Christ would. Especially if he didn't look like the, the Anglo-Saxon hippie that everybody expected him to look like. Because I think it may surprise them who he really is. I really think it may surprise people. I don't think they would recognize who he was in a world that judges people by their appearance. Why are you going there, Pastor? Because it's right here where I, I want to take you in just a minute in the book of Acts. But in, in Philippians, this is amazing because he said to them, he said, I salute every saint in Christ Jesus. He said, all the saints salute you chiefly in verse 22. They that are of Caesar's household. Read on past that if you want to. I got to stop there and think about that for a minute. This is the most powerful man in the Roman Empire. An empire that was not weak, anemic, and feeble whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it is probably in history, above all, uh, above all other empires, whether it be uh, the Greek Empire, the Ottoman Empire, whatever, I, I believe that is probably, in my opinion, the most powerful empire that has ever stood. It stood for a thousand years. The Roman Empire stood for a thousand years. And the church started while the Roman Empire was in rule. But Paul is writing to them at the church at Philippi and he says, I want to especially salute all of the saints that are in Caesar's household. Do you, do you realize what that means? It means that in the house of a crooked cruel emperor a man that hated Christ that hated Christians right underneath his nose right there where he could have killed any of them he wanted to the Lord said watch this I don't care who you are I don't care what kind of empire you rule I don't care who you think you are I've got saints in your house 
He said, I'll build a church at the front doorstep of hell. I don't care what Caesar has to say about it. I'll build a church in Caesar's house. I'm so glad that I'm a Christian. You ever thought about that? Do you think about what you're taking on when you say you're a Christian? Have you ever thought about that? Do you know where the word Christian is used for the first time anywhere in the world? In Acts chapter 11. Right after Acts chapter 10. Which is where the first Gentiles are converted to what we call Christianity. People that the Jews thought were unworthy because of their race. Ain't nobody going to help me preach now. They thought people were unworthy because they weren't of a certain type of bloodline. And they were so surprised that the Lord would pour His Spirit out on Greeks like He did on the Jews. But the powerful thing about this, folks, that I want you to wrap your mind around is that the church may have been established in Jerusalem. But he said, I'm going to give you power. And he said, it's going to begin right here in Jerusalem. And it's going to go to Samaria. And it's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. This church was not just established to stay in Jerusalem or he would have never made a reference to the gates of hell. I'm telling you, the church that started in Jerusalem is man to go into all the world into places where people say there'll never be a church there there'll never be apostolics there he said all the saints in Caesar's household I salute you because on hell's front doorstep God has a church so chapter 11 is where the challenge comes to Peter and they said In uh, 11 and 1, the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard the Gentiles that also received the word of God. When Peter was come to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision. Can somebody? What? No. They agreed with him. They contended with him. You know who he is. This is the guy that has the power to bind and loose. And they contended with him. And they said to him, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. I love verse 4. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning. And expounded it by order unto them, saying. In other words, Peter said, let me think about this before I get there I know there's some people that's going to have some things to say and I'm going to have this rehearsed in my mind before I ever get there I know that there's going to be controversy. I know there's going to be a fight. I know there's going to be abrasive people. I know there's going to be pushback against this. So let me rehearse the matter and let me expound it to you in order. He said, I was in the city of Joppa. I was in a trance. I was praying. And all of a sudden, there was a a heavenly sign that came down as if it were a sheet. It was full of stuff. And the Lord said, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I think it's not good. And the Lord said to me, well, don't you call unclean what I have called clean. 
He said in verse 7, he said, I heard a voice say to me, Arise, Peter, get up and eat. He said, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. He said, and then all of a sudden, I began to speak. In, in verse 13, he said, He showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, Not in Jerusalem, in Joppa. As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of the church. Where the church that the gates of hell could not... Don't you think for one moment that it is a coincidence that it's Peter that this is happening to because the Lord, he was talking to Peter when he said, I'm going to build my church. It was Peter that went into Joppa and he said, when I started telling them about the goodness of the Lord and I started speaking those words, In a society of people that knew nothing about the goodness of God. There were good people there, but they sure weren't Jews. They sure weren't devout people that had been sold out to the law. And the Lord said, I don't care if it's in Joppa or on hell's front doorstep. I'll build a church. He said then in verse 16, then, when, when the Holy Ghost fell on them, then I remembered the word of the Lord. How that he said, John indeed baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. You know what the power of the Holy Ghost is? The power of the Holy Ghost is that power that makes you stop being who you were before the Holy Ghost came on you. Let me tell you a little something. I've met people, and I don't mean any offense to this whatsoever, but I've met people that have claimed they had the Holy Ghost because they spoke in other tongues. That's all all right. It is the initial sign they got the Holy Ghost. True. It is the initial sign that you've been filled with God's Spirit. We find it everywhere in the book of Acts. They received the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul did the same thing. He said, matter of fact, I speak in tongues more than any of you. That's what he said. Everywhere you look, it's there. But I want to tell you something about the Holy Ghost. Wherever the Spirit dwells, tongues is not the only thing that dwells there as well. There are nine fruits that must accompany the nine gifts. And if you have not figured out yet that the world is not interested in connecting themselves to somebody that says they've got the Holy Ghost, but they can hate their brother. It's time for the body of Christ that says we've got the Holy Ghost to live out loud. To live out loud in front of the world and say even if I disagree with you, I love you. Even if I don't see eye to eye with you, I love you. It's time to let the world see Jesus in us. We'll never build a church at hell's front door if we're giving in to hell's ideas of what we're supposed to be. said it dawned on me right then have you ever been in a moment where something happened in your life and right then God reminded you of a word that you had heard before has that ever happened to you it has to me I've been in a situation and I'll hear like 
I'll, I'll, I'll hear something somebody preached. It'll come, it'll come to me right then. A, a sermon, a service that I was in, a scripture that I had read. I'll be thinking about saying something back in return or doing something in return, especially on Facebook or something like that. It's really interesting how the Spirit can constrain you on there and say to you, as soon as you go to type and your heart starts flapping because you know that the reason you're typing it is because you're going to get a response. Somebody shout motive. motive. Your motive matters. And you'll hear it all of a sudden. Some, some, little, some little birdie down chirping in your ear that says, don't let your good be evil spoken of. What do you think that is? It's the Holy Ghost. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's God abounding in you. Listen to Pastor when I tell you, I don't have any respect for people that are willing to fight more for their political persuasion than they do the Word of God. I wonder what would happen if we would spend as much time reading this newspaper as we do other newspapers. Because here's the difference. I have not heard this week. I've listened to more news with the election going on in America than I have in the whole year. And boy, have I regretted it. Somebody said we got a right to free press. Well, it's really free. Because now you got to pick whichever lie you want to believe and go for it. I'm going to tell you one thing I know. I haven't seen very many politicians tell the truth. And I haven't seen very many news anchors tell the truth. But never has an author of this book ever told something that was not true. And his word was that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. Hey, I want to tell you folks something that may not be popular. While Hitler was killing Jews all over the world, seven million of them, there was an apostolic church. What I'm saying to you is I believe in the end time is that some of us are actually going to have to live what we've said we believed. Some of us are actually going to have to do what we said we would do. I'm saying even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But if you don't come, I'm not sitting down. I'm not quitting. I'm not relenting. I'm not turning back. I'm not turning around. I will follow you. So, this is what they said in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. We find for the first time ever that they are called Christians at Antioch. This was not a word given to them by the faithful, so to speak. This was a word that was given to them more than likely by the culture surrounding them. In other words, if I could say it like this, it was not a, a badge that you would proudly wear to put a little fishy fish on your trunky trunk. I went to the Lifeweight bookstore and I got this fishy. It was on the clearance rack. Can you believe the Lord blessed me today? I got this fish for 89 cents. You know, that same fish is on that same little sticker that says coexist. Fishy, 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 fishy. 
fishy, 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 fishy. Mm. I am a, I am a end time hero of the faith because I picked the chrome fish and not the black fish that blends into my paint. I got the chrome finished one that matches my rims so that when people pull up behind me, they know that I'm a chromey fish. I'm proud. I'm, I'm proud of my faith. I'm proud of my faith. I'm, I'm proud. You know, it was a, when they looked at him and said they're Christians, it was the same kind of slur and slang as saying they're Herodians. It was the same idea. They looked at him and said they're Christians because that's who they followed. But before we jump off the deep end and get angry about what Pastor saying, oh my God, he said it's a bad word to be a Christian. No, 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 understand what I'm saying. The only reason they were called that is because there was enough evidence to prove they did that. They called them Christians because they were relentless. Ah, where's my runners now? They called them Christians because there was enough evidence to convict them in a court of law if they had to go before a judge. And the judge were to look at them and say, is it true that you follow Christ? Yes, I do, judge. I love that this morning, Brother Jordan. Good day. We've got a little British Pharisee. That was beautiful. British Pharisee. They said, those people, they are Christians. That's what they are. They're Christians. This was not something to get excited about. It was not something for them to say, oh, looky here, I got my bag of goodies because I went to the church and they said I could be a Christian if I follow here. This is not something for me to put on my, uh, my, my claim form as I go into another country. You ever seen that? I don't know how many of you have traveled internationally. They want to know what kind of faith you are. Why? What's the matter? I'm coming over here to take pictures of pretty things and they want to know what's your faith. Do you know that's coming to the beautiful United States? I know, I'm coming out again, I'm going to sound like the old broken record, so hickety hickety, whatever, let it be. I just hope it's with high fidelity, if I do, that it never changes the rhythm of what I'm saying. But you, un you understand, I've been preaching it for months and months, and just this week, it came out about on social media how they're getting ready to start censoring and censoring more than political language. They're going to begin to censor religious language. What's that mean for us? Ding dong! It means churches, you better get ready because the thing that they wanted all the world to do and go online only. It's the same reason that they wanted to make the train, uh, the, the, the rail system in the United States so much more beautiful. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to get off at something goofy in, your, in, in a Green New Deal or something. I just want you to listen to me. This is not political. Understand what I'm saying to you. They want to reduce vehicles so that we don't have vehicles to travel in, get better trains so that we all travel on trains. Why would you do that? Because you know where the train's going, you know where it's starting, you know where it's stopping. 
If you take away freedom for people to get around, well, we can't do that. Your car has too many emission gases. It's warming the world up. You think the world's warm right now? Let me tell you about global warming. Let me tell you about global warming. I'm not, I'm not making fun of it. I think there's probably something going on. We've proved in the last few weeks that it's not the judgment of God for all these hurricanes that are coming in off the south end of the United States and through South and Central America. No, over the last hundred years, we've had no more hurricanes than we have right now. We just have more cameras. I'm telling you, this is not the judgment of God. This is not because so-and-so didn't vote for somebody. Get over yourself, man. That has nothing to do with what God's doing. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not nearly as afraid of global warming as I am. When this earth is turned into fire, can I tell you right now, there is a pit. And if you're going to believe that heaven is a real place, then you got to believe that hell is a real place. I wouldn't worry near as much about global warming as I am hell warming. Woo-wee. I'm glad you turned us to me early, Dad. I bet you they're not. So here's kind of what's happened. Hell... And heaven, like heaven has just become the alternative to hell now. Heaven's the good place we talk about so you don't go to the bad place. Can you find me one scripture, one scripture where heaven became the alternative to hell? Because it's not there. As a matter of fact, the only real scripture we have that talks about an individual themselves being in a physical hell is written in parabolic form. Now, whether it's parable or not, not 100% sure. I tend to believe that it's not really a parable because there are specific names that are used. But it's the rich man and Lazarus. Okay, we, we, we've heard about that. And all the scripture says is that there's a great goal fixed. Some believe that that man, Lazarus was in heaven and the rich man was in hell. I don't know, but I do know that in the torment of hell that this man was in, what we do know is that nowhere in this does Jesus telling the story say, and that's what heaven's for so you don't have to go here. When Jesus talked about heaven, very little did he talk about heaven. It was his disciples that talked more about it than him after he was gone as a place that we're going to. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. That's true, but it's his disciples that said, uh, Behold, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. All that's good and great. I'm not going to jump into that. What I'm saying to you is that heaven was never intended to be at all the alternative to hell. Everywhere Jesus talked about heaven, he said, I want you to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He told Peter, he said, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What the Lord was saying is I'm giving power to the church to bring heaven to where you are until you go to heaven. I'm putting you in the earth to run defense against people that are running headlong into hell and telling them you don't have to go to hell. There is a better way to live. You can live for God. And if you do live for God, there is a heaven. But I'm saying to you, you cannot come to God because of the promise of heaven. You've got to come to God because of the promise of the power of the church. 
If you come to God because of the promise of heaven, you're going to constantly be begging God to get you out of the mess and take you to heaven. I'm afraid somebody's missing what I'm telling you right now because I'm hurrying. Understand what I'm saying to you. When we hit trouble, we start praying immediately. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Like heaven is our escape plan from trouble. Woo! How many funerals you've been to that when the preacher got up preaching the funeral and he put so-and-so in heaven, you're like, oh, my God. I've been sitting at funerals of people. I, I know when they took their last breath, it smelled like alcohol. And they had abused people and all kinds of stuff. Man, that preacher got up there. Well, there was Jesus in heaven today. Woo! That's pretty tough, folks. I tell you what, you're, you're looking at a man today. I'm not going to lie for you. I'm just not going to lie for you. I'm going to put you where you belong in the hands of God. And I'm going to say, if you lived right and you talked right and you did what you're supposed to do, you're going to make. But I'm not going to stand up at your casket and beg and please say, God, please tell me a creative way to say this. Woo! I know they made it. And I wonder if somehow between that first century church and the thousand years, the reign of the Roman Empire, how much of that is rubbed off on us. That now today we believe that heaven is what the Romans say it was and not what the scripture said it was. I'm telling you folks, listen to this preacher today that heaven is not my escape plan from the problems of this world. My escape is bringing heaven to where I am right here. My escape is a prayer room. My escape is the house of God. My escape is fasting and separating myself to God. My escape is having a relationship with God. I'm not living for God because of the promise of heaven. I want to go. I, I really do. Somebody said, Pastor, when you die immediately, do you go straight to heaven? I don't know. The Bible don't say that. It doesn't say that we just like go. It says your soul is with the Lord and your body's going to rise later. I don't know. But here's what I do know. If I draw my last breath in this life and my next breath is celestial, so be it. But if I've got to lay in the ground for a thousand years... I want to be sure that what I did while I walked on this earth was pleasing for that great resurrection day. I love the way some of y'all are looking at me this morning like you've been baptized in pickle juice. I'm talking about a church that's been built on hell's front doorstep. Come on, I know your stomach's growling. You're ready to go get to your roast this morning. I know some of you are worried your crock pot's going to burn. Let me tell you something, church of the living God. We are blessed and we are fortunate that no matter what the enemy tries against us, we are part of the victorious church. I'm coming to a close. I think that may get a louder amen than the rest of the sermon. Coming to a close, somebody said, oh, Shondo, hallelujah. You got, got Bibles. How many of your Bibles have the little headers on the chapter that say what the chapter's kind of about? How many of your Bibles do that? Okay. Somebody go to uh, Acts chapter 12. 
Acts chapter 12 and read what the header of the chapter says. Don't just like, at least give me the Jeopardy buzz in. <laughs> Say it. What? Persecution by what? Persecution? Persecution? Anybody's Bible say persecution? Mine says persecution. By Herod? And God's still building a church? God building a church in the midst of persecution? God's building a church in the midst of trouble? Chapter 11 said they're Christians. Chapter 12 says they're persecuted. How many want to jump on the Christian choo-choo? Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm glad to be a Christian. If you're going to be a Christian in chapter 11, you got to live through some stuff in chapter 12. I've come to tell you this morning that the worst thing in the world that could happen is for you to miss heaven, for you to miss the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds. I want to be ready. What you got to grab hold of is that going to heaven is not about how you die. It's about how you live. You know, these men of God, women of God that were dying because of their faith, they didn't get faith while they were dying. What are you getting at, Pastor? I'm telling you, there's only one church. It's the church that's built at hell's front door. We're going to win every battle we fight. There's only one church, and there's only one way to get in the church. And once you get in the church, it's not enough. We're not Masons. We're not the Lions Club. We're not a club. You just join and say, oh, I'm glad to be a part of the club. Oh, no. I don't join this one to join. I come in to stay. I don't start for the accolades of starting. I started for the reward of finishing. He said, enter in thou good and faithful servant. You weren't just faithful in how you died. You were faithful in how you lived. Let's stand this morning. The church is built on hell's front door. It's not a church that's in recovery mode. It's not a church that's constantly swaying and reeling. What are we going to do to get back? What are we going to do to get our power back? I get so tired of hearing that. Ooh, I wish we had what the old time church had when people don't want to invest what the old time church invested. It's hard to have power. Well, it's just because it's because of the songs. You know what? This morning we sang songs about the blood and the name. And that's what people gripe about all the time. These new songs don't ever talk about the blood. They did this morning. Well, they don't have good beating rhythm to them. I've lived long enough as a musician. You girls know what I'm talking about. We was raised playing old time stuff. I'm talking about them folks get up. Them two girls back there, they're great musicians. And they grew up just like I did. We played old, old fashioned stuff. And jumped, played in the new stuff. I watch people 
But they don't always worship like they're part of a church that's built on hell's front door. They worship like they're a church that's built on a musical culture. I needed an organ right here, Brother Jordan. Be like, Donna! I need Sister Yolanda to say, come on, Pastor. Help me, come on. Woo, that's my girl right there. Hmm. Look, I'm going to tell you something, church. We need God to baptize us. I prayed this all morning. Baptize us with revelation. We are not part of a social club. We are part of the church of the living God that is built on hell's front door. Well, what if they say, what if they say, what if they say your, your, your church is old-fashioned? Well, boo-hoo. I, I wrestled whether or not to tell you all this. But I'm going to tell you. We just had a man preach here for us recently from another state out west, so you know who I'm talking about. His father was in a, a big seminary out west getting his doctorate. And in the seminary, they had him come forward and do a teaching on the oneness of God. And when he finished his teaching on the oneness of God, Brother Horner, there was a man there that got up and took the podium after him that was uh, of another ideology of what God was, divided and separated and all this stuff. And he looked up at this preacher. Now, I'm talking about this is like in the last two years. He took the podium in a room full of Christians and he said, that oneness message is heresy and you are a heretic and the heretics deserve to be martyred. In the United States of America, we're worried about what they're doing in New York City or whatever. I'm talking about in a Christian college. He said, you're a heretic. Look, looked right at him and said, you deserve to be martyred. And, and the elder said, are you saying I deserve to be killed? In a classroom. And we think this is just we're going to come together and patty cake with the devil and have good church till Jesus comes. We got a battle in front of us. We got a fight to fight. And we got to fight to win. And I don't plan on sitting down anytime soon. I want the enemy to know that I believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. That's what I believe. I believe that that one God robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. telling you right now you still got to come in the same way you got to come in the same way you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins you got to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and there is no other way to come in it's not about the music it's not about no no it's about what I made up my mind I have come to connect myself and to be identified with the church that's built on hell's front door and we're going to see the greatest revival that we've ever seen in our lives I don't care what Caesar says I don't care what the Romans say I'm crying out to the saints in Caesar's household today and saluting you in Jesus name let's have revival 
revival.